Bring it in. Another weekend of football has gone by. And we're one step closer to football season coming to an end. But we still got a lot to get to. Obviously, we still have all of the postseason for college football. We have the conference championships coming up in a couple weeks. The Army-Navy game. And, of course, the college football playoff and the Heisman and all that stuff. That uh, I mean, that's what the whole season builds toward. And on the NFL side... The 17th game in the extra week. It's uh, honestly, I don't know. I've heard a lot of people be like, oh man, it's kind of throwing me off. It's on this. I don't know. To me, to me, it's awesome. To me, it's, it's getting an IV the morning after drinking too much and you're hungover, right? It's just, it's saving you. It's giving you a little bit more to look forward to. Uh, I am solo once again today. We're approaching Thanksgiving. We have all the Thanksgiving games. We've got a great, College football slate of games coming up this weekend. Um, and, uh, of course, we have uh, the NFL games on Thanksgiving. It's going to be great just to be back with family and everything. So, Scotty has his parents, or his mom at least, and his sister who are coming out, staying with him. So, he's doing family stuff all week. Vito, his sister, is actually getting married in the next couple of uh, – this week, I believe. So, both of them got a ton of stuff going on. So, you're rocking with me right now. We will try to get another pod out before uh, the weekend because, you know, it's, but it's the holidays, right? So I would love to get a pod out maybe Thursday night, Friday morning to recap uh, some of the, uh, the NFL games on Thursday, as well as give some of those picks out like we like to do. Uh, your boy went four and one in college football this week, had an awesome betting week in college football. Five and eight right now in the NFL. I have the Giants covering 11. So if the Giants cover tonight, we get a close game, six and eight in the NFL. Look, it's an unpredictable league. It's as unpredictable as any sport that we have. Week in and week out. And this year in particular has been incredibly uh, inconsistent, right? And, And we'll get into a lot of that because this weekend was no different. In fact, this weekend might have had more surprising outcomes than any that I can remember uh, so far this season. And, you know, all you have to do is look at that that Colts and Bills game or the, the Houston and Titans uh, game, right? I mean, there's just all these scores that you're kind of like, holy cow, like where, where is all this coming from? Uh, but we'll, we'll get into all that uh, on the college football side. Dan Mullen is out at Florida as the head coach. And that's where I want to start off today's podcast because Dan Mullen, for those of you who don't know, he's not the most likable guy in the world, right? He is a play calling genius. He's an offensive savant when it comes to the sport of football. He's done, he did awesome things at Mississippi state. He made Dak Prescott into a lot of who Dak Prescott is, He's even shown flashes of recruiting at times, getting guys like Darius Slay and Chris Jones to Mississippi State. But Dan Mullen is so unfathomably unlikable. Dan Mullen walks around with the arrogance of that boss who you know doesn't really do a whole lot at the company, but he's getting paid that six-figure salary. 
and you and the other people in the cubicles and walking around. God, I can't believe what does that guy even do all day? But he walks around like he owns a place. Dan Mullen failed as a recruiter, especially at Florida, to the point where three weeks ago, he was asked about it in a press conference. I believe it was after the Georgia game, the week before the Georgia game. And, and they asked him about recruiting and, and simply, you know, where he's at right now in the season. Very harmless question. And Dan Mullen was such a prick. His response was, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but his response was basically, we don't worry about recruiting during the season. No, no. When we get to recruiting in the fall, then we, in the spring, then, then we can, you can ask recruiting questions. All right, we're, not, we're not asking that now. And then proceeded to leave the press conference and have one of the spokesperson for Florida come out and say that he would no longer be meeting with the media for the foreseeable future. This is the guy who was given the car keys to a freaking Ferrari, right? That going, to, going and being the head coach of the University of Florida, that is a top 10 job in college football. And not only that, you're recruiting against, in, in your own conference, right? You're recruiting against Nick Saban in Alabama. You're recruiting against Kirby Smart, okay? But you're also recruiting against Dabo Sweeney. You're, you're, you're expected to be recruiting against the powerhouses of other college football. How could you not care about recruiting in the season? We've seen the parades that have been thrown for Arch Manning all season, right? The next Manning. The kid's a junior in, college, in high school or senior in high school. He's the number one recruit in the country. And he's either going to go to Ole Miss Georgia, it seems to be the two schools that it's down to. Why is Florida not in that mix? Why is someone as brilliant of a play caller, as brilliant as an NFL and, and football mind as Dan Mullen, who's, who's created one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, who, who coached up these guys? Why is that Florida in the mix? Florida should be in the mix. He's gotten good players. He got Kyle Pitts. He had Kadarius Toney. You know what he's never had at Florida? A quarterback. And in fact, the best quarterback talent-wise that they've ever had is on their roster right now. And he was so reluctant to put Anthony Richardson in as the starting quarterback because of Emory Jones? I like Emory Jones. He's an awesome story. He's hung around when he could have left Florida because he felt he had earned his opportunity to start. And you know what? If that's what it came down to, that's why Dan Mullen wanted to keep him in because he just he liked the kid. He felt he earned the opportunity. And you know what? I actually respect that. But you are running one of the biggest brands in SEC football. I mean, look at the state of Florida right now. Florida State, Miami, and Florida are all mediocre programs. And Florida is one of the biggest hotbeds of talent, of high school football talent in the country. How on earth, if you are Dan Mullen, can you say, we're not worried about recruiting? Yeah, I know we got the super talented kid, Anthony Richardson. Now I'm going to keep Emory Jones. You have an opportunity to be the program in the state of Florida. Because Florida State, Miami, you know, Miami struggled to kind of be back for a long time. And I don't know if Manny Diaz is going to get them there. But Florida State's start, starting on the come up here. I like Mike Norvell. I like what he's doing there. You had a two-year window here. 
after they played in the SEC championship game last year and hung with the eventual national champions in Alabama. How do you not care? Now, we, you can go back and listen to some of his comments about COVID and playing in front of no fans and him saying he wanted the Swamp to be at 80,000 this weekend in the middle of the pandemic. Like, this is October of 2020. You can look at him, right, in the last year after they beat Missouri in a press conference wearing a Darth Vader outfit because it was Halloween weekend. To which Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach of Missouri, when they played this past weekend, left the press conference with a hood up and a lightsaber and just said, may the force be with you. Which was a fantastic response. Only for less than 24 hours later, Dan Mullen to be fired. I'm curious as to what the future holds for this guy. Because you can't be an elite level college football coach and not care about recruiting. The transfer portals change that. You can do what Mel Tucker did and attack the transfer portal. Go get the Kenneth Walkers from Wake Forest and all these other small schools. You can, you can go that route. But one of the most consistent things about college football, and you'll hear this from anybody who covers the sport, recruiting is the lifeblood of college football. If you can't recruit, you're not going to last. So where does that leave Dan Mullen now? I was thinking about it on my drive home today, and I said, you know, what if he goes the Cliff Kingsbury route? Because it was just a couple weeks ago, I was talking to Rick Neuheisel off air, and he said, you know, there's been rumblings about Dan Mullen and the NFL. And I went, yeah, okay, I, I could see that. Maybe the Chicago Bears end up moving on from Matt Nagy right? Maybe the New York Giants move on from Joe Judge. You know, I, I, there's, I don't expect there to be a ton of NFL openings this year. You can run through the list of teams, right? Chicago, that one seems like a, like a definite. The Lions, they just hired Dan Campbell. So unless David Cauley or, or Dan Campbell or one of those guys are one and done, he's probably going to keep that. I think Robert Salaz is going to end up staying with the, Giant, with the Jets. I don't know how many opportunities there. Maybe Jacksonville, right? Or maybe Dan Mullen comes in as the offensive coordinator for Urban next year in Jacksonville after how bad that offense has been. The Raiders are going to be looking for a head coach. Maybe Dan Mullen goes there. Maybe he's the next Cliff Kingsbury. Because remember, when Cliff Kingsbury got hired to be the head coach of the Cardinals, he had just been fired by Texas Tech and had already accepted the offensive coordinator job at USC. Nobody thought. Cliff Kingsbury was going to be a good NFL head coach. Nobody. I don't care what you say. I don't care who thought, oh, I know, I knew, I said, no, nobody thought that that hire was going to work out. He's taken more shit than anybody. And it turns out it's a pretty good hire. He's a pretty damn good coach. He's won two of three without his quarterback and his best offensive weapon in DeAndre Hopkins. So maybe that's the route for Dan Mullen. But it's not going to be in college. If you're not going to put in the work to recruit, especially in the SEC, you have no shot, none. And I'll say this too, at least Cliff Kingsbury is likable. His players liked Cliff Kingsbury. When he was at Texas Tech, people liked him there. He had the track record with Baker 
when he was in first at Texas Tech. He had the track record with Patrick Mahomes, who obviously flourished at Texas Tech and then goes on to be the best quarterback in the NFL. People liked Cliff Kingsbury, and they were rooting for him. And that's the one thing that's holding against Dan Mullen right now is that people just don't like him. There was no accountability after losses. There's a great article on The Athletic with, uh, by Bruce Feldman and uh, their Florida beat writer, and they went around, they were asking other SEC coaches and assistant coaches, and they would just say, look at him after losses. No accountability, making excuses, not focusing on the right things. They've lost seven of their last nine games against Power 5 opponents. Five of them came from unranked teams. And they damn near lost to Samford, an FCS school, and a bad one at that two weeks ago when they put up 46 points in the first half. I don't know what the future holds for Dan Mullen. I'd be interested to see him maybe get to the NFL where you don't have to worry about recruiting. You just got to be a good football coach. But if the players don't buy Indy, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are. It's got a little Chip Kelly in it, but more arrogant. You know, Chip was always just kind of matter of the fact, you know, and that rubbed people the wrong way. And I get it, but I also kind of respected Chip for it. Dan Mullen, just kind of an asshole. And I don't know how well that'll play in locker rooms in the NFL or in college football. Cause we've already seen it not work in college football and hope for his sake, a guy as, as talented of a play caller as, as smart of a, of a football mind as Dan Mullen time to look at the man in the mirror, Dan Mullen. Cause so often in life, it's not, it's not what happens to you, right? It's how you respond. Will he have the wherewithal to do that? I don't know. But Florida is now in the mix, as we talked about the coaching carousel on Friday's pod. Florida's up there. Florida, USC, LSU, those are the big three. Virginia Tech after that. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. All right, we're going to take a quick break, come back, run through the NFL games, run through some of the college stuff, and I will give my picks for what I think the college football playoff rankings will look like setting up a monstrous game on Saturday between Ohio State and Michigan. And all the Big Ten fans out there, I know we've seen this story before. We already know how it goes, especially after C.J. Stroud threw six touchdowns in the first half against Michigan State. But I'm not convinced it's going to be that easy for the Buckeyes this weekend. We'll get into all that coming up right after this. NFL week 11 is done. It's over. And we are on to week 12. We do actually still have one more game Monday night. Uh, Giants and Tampa Bay. Looks like the return of Saquon, which should be interesting. Uh, a guy who's struggled to stay healthy for as amazingly talented as Saquon is. And he is one of the most special specimens I've ever seen. Dude cannot stay healthy. And for his sake, I hope he's able to do it uh, and put it together because he, when he's all, when he's right, he is special, man. But once again, I say it all the time. That's why no matter how special he is, you don't draft running backs in the first round. You definitely don't draft them number three. 
No offense, Saquon. And I can get away with saying that because my Penn State guys aren't, aren't here, but I bet you they would even agree that for as special as he is, I don't know. You looking at the guys that came out of that draft? I'm sure the Giants would uh, would love to have Quentin Nelson right now, especially when you know Wayne Gallman and all these other running backs have filled in for him over the last couple of years and have actually been pretty productive. So week 12, sorry, week 11 in the NFL, uh, started Thursday night. The Patriots whooped the Atlanta Fal- uh, Falcons. The Patriots are for real. They are a complete team from top to bottom. Mac Jones is continuing to impress, right? Everything about him. And, and look, we're, we're not seeing him dice teams up. We're not seeing him chuck the ball deep. We're not seeing him shred up offense and putting up crazy numbers. But what we are seeing from him is a cool, calm demeanor. He takes everything in stride, right? Nothing seems to bother him. And that is the most overlooked aspect of him as a quarterback right now in the NFL because so many rookies come in and it's so clear that it's just it's, everything's going over their head. They just they're not seeing the field. Everything's going 100 miles an hour and they're just trying to keep their head above water. Mac Jones is like, cool, give me more. Short week, no problem. I got this. And credit to Josh McDaniels and credit to Bill Belichick for understanding what they had, but There's a documentary going on right now, and I wanted to talk about it last week and didn't get a chance to, but it's called Man in the Arena. If you haven't heard about it, it's the Tom Brady documentary. All right, It's a 10-episode series. It's on ESPN Plus exclusively, and the first episode came out last week, and it detailed his, you know, him getting drafted and, and the Drew Bledsoe injury and him, you know, working his way up to being the starting quarterback his first season and beating the Rams in the Super Bowl in 2001. It is crazy, the similarities between that season and this season, right? The the Willie McGinnis and and the Teddy Bruskies and the defense that was there, Ty Law, all these guys were were so good. And that defense was humming. And this was like Bill Belichick, prime defensive mind, you know, as he's really starting to get this thing going. And on the offensive side of the ball, you had this scrawny little kid, who comes in to replace Drew Bledsoe, who that offseason had signed the NFL's first $100 million contract. And the little things that they would give him, right? It was running game. It was ground and pound. But then they slowly started to trust him more and more and more. And one of the things I didn't remember about that season was that Tom actually got knocked out of the AFC championship game against Pittsburgh. And Drew Bledsoe came back in and led them to beat this awesome Pittsburgh Steelers team with Cower and Jerome Bettis and, and like a really, really good Pittsburgh team. They go on to the Super Bowl and it was a decision, right? It was like Super Bowl week and nobody knew who the starting quarterback was for, for New England, which is crazy to think about because if that was happening in 2021, you know, just 20 years later, how it would be covered in social media the pressure. I, I can't even imagine the, all right, we're going into the Super Bowl and we don't know who our starting quarterback is. But Tom ended up getting the start because Bill Belichick trusted Tom Brady to do what he was asked to do, which was not going to be too much because Bill knew that the defense was going was to come out and dominate in that game, which they did. They knew they were going to be able to run the ball, which they did. And They trusted Tom to just deliver a simple game plan to not do too much, to not be the Superman. And 
what he ended up doing was, you know, all of the preparation, everything he was doing and, and having that whole season, he drives the team in, in 40, in like a minute and a half down the field from their own 20 with no timeouts. And Adam Vinatieri kicks a cheap chip shot field goal and end up winning the Super Bowl, uh, you know, at the buzzer. That is so similar to what they're doing with Mac Jones right now, which is Bill knows his defense is, is, is at a like perfect temperature right now. Like he has them so gauged perfectly. He's so locked in. He knows exactly what he can get out of them. And then the running game has been really impressive between Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson. The offensive line has been awesome. And then you got this quarterback, this rookie quarterback. The wide receivers aren't super special, right? But they know what to do. They're good blockers. They can do things, you know, a little bit more outside, but they're not, there's no big playmakers, super reliable target in Hunter Henry. And they're going to get Johnny Smith back here soon too. And then this quarterback, this Mac Jones kid, they're just saying, all right, man, 20 attempts a game. Give me 17 to 20. He was the first quarterback in NFL history as a rookie quarterback in NFL history to have back-to-back 80% completion games of like 15 attempts or more. I, I am so impressed because it's a huge testament to Josh McDaniels. It's a huge testament to Belichick. But to revert back 20 years and play this in completely different style of ball, I mean, that is the epitome of what Bill Belichick is, right? Which is always, what's the strength of your team? And how, by the time we hit November, is everything going to be locked in? Adjust your scheme, your game plan to the personnel that you have. And people mock them, right? Oh, my God, the, the Pats spent you know $68 million, whatever the number was, on the opening day of free agency. Who, who is this team? Bill went out and built the team around who they thought was going to be. It was either going to be Cam Newton or Mac Jones, but then, you know, Bill knew what he had in Mac Jones, and and he's been really, really impressive because there's not been a second that Mac Jones has looked flustered or confused, you know, especially in the last, like, six games or so. I mean, they have been on a tear. This was a one-and-four football team, and they've won six straight games. And the Falcons – who were technically in the playoffs this time last week. I mean, they, they were completely flummoxed by that defense, completely flummoxed. And that's scary because Matt Ryan is a smart guy. And when Matt Ryan is looking like more like a rookie than Mac Jones, it says a lot about where the Patriots defense is right now. Uh, To the Sunday games, we go. The headliner here from Sunday was the Colts, right? Colts six and five now. They beat the Buffalo Bills 41 to 15. Absolutely dominated the Bills. And I've been saying this now for two weeks. I don't know what it is about the Bills, but the offense isn't the same. They can't run the ball unless it's Josh Allen, but they don't want to get Josh Allen hurt. So they can't keep running him like crazy. The wide receiver, Stephon Diggs, is still having a great you know, season statistically. But the defense was the calling card for the Bills all year, and they couldn't stop Jonathan Taylor for anything. Jonathan Taylor had five touchdowns in this game. It was 180 yards and five touchdowns. I mean, he was a wrecking crew. And now there's all these calls for Jonathan Taylor being the MVP. That is similar to college football. No idea who the Heisman is right now. NFL, no idea who the MVP is. I think you can honestly make the argument for Lamar Jackson after we saw how 
different that team looks with, you know, Tyler Huntley as opposed to Lamar Jackson. But, you know, let's pump the brakes on Jonathan Taylor being the MVP here because, I mean, he was, until this week, still tied for first place in rushing yards with Derrick Henry because that's how special Derrick Henry had been before he goes out. Buffalo now, they're in some serious trouble. I love Josh Allen. I like Sean McDermott a lot. I love Brian Dable. But think about this. Brian Dable came back to be the OC, even though he had multiple requests to interview for head coaching jobs and reportedly even had offers to go be the head coach. But he wanted to stay and finish what they had built in Buffalo before he left. I don't know if those same offers are going to be there at the end of the season. I mean, there's still time, right? They still have seven more games. They're six and four. They're only 10 games in. They're playing on Thursday night. They'll get a little, they'll have the mini bye, right? The Thursday to Sunday bye. But Buffalo is in some trouble. And their schedule's not looking super favorable either. And while their arrow's pointing straight down, the Patriots is going straight up and they still got to play twice. And if the Colts defense, which isn't a bad defense, but it's, it's middle of the pack. And yes, Darius Leonard is awesome. And DeForest Buckner is, are, they're both awesome players. You should not be held to 15 points. And honestly, it was seven points through three quarters. If you're the Buffalo Bills, you should be able to score at least 25 against this Colts defense. And they couldn't do that. And the one calling card they've had all season was like, the defense is awesome. All right, well, when you're playing a team with a, with a good running game, they got exposed at home. That's a loss that you cannot take if you're the Buffalo Bills. And Josh Allen needs to kind of get his, his shit together too because he's not seeing the field. It's, it's not just, you know, the fact that like Indianapolis, no, he's not seeing the field. The play calling's not there. The number two option, right? Emmanuel Sanders falling off a cliff. Cole Beasley's falling off a cliff. I know Dawson Knox has been in and out and he had that broken hand, but Dawson Knox shouldn't be the difference in your offense being good and being bad. Not this bad compared to what we saw last year. And they're missing two offensive linemen. And that, at the end of the day, we talk about all the time how much the line of scrimmage matters in football. It's the ultimate determinator between, all right, you're, you know, you're a good football team, you're a bad football team. All right. Look at the offensive and defensive lines. Are you good in the trenches on both sides? Well, the Bills had been until the last few weeks. They lose one to injury. They lose another one to COVID this week. So hopefully you get one of those guys back. But Buffalo's, they're circling green. Now, the Colts, on the other hand, Carson Wentz, six turnovers through 11 games this year. He had 19 through 11 games last year. And so for all the people who – who want to claim that the Eagles quit on Carson Wentz or, you know, you know, shit on Philly and Eagles for the way that no Carson Wentz was terrible. And it was a divorce that needed to happen. He's at home with Frank, Wright. But you know what? Carson Wentz only threw the ball like 20 times in this game. I think he went like 11 of 20. All right. He's not the guy that he could have been when he was first in Philly. He's not that guy. And maybe he'll work his way up to it. He's been serviceable. They took Carson Wentz and they turned him into a game manager. 
And credit to Carson for accepting the coaching, something he was unwilling to do in Philadelphia. But with the running game, with a healthy defense, like the back end of the Colts, like the Colts are a good team. All right. They'll probably end up as the sixth seed in the AFC. And they might even win a playoff game because come December, come the playoff games. Yeah. Like Jonathan Taylor is going to be a big factor. But if something happens to Jonathan Taylor, I mean, I, he is their offense. All you have to do is look at the games he's missed, the games where he's had bad days versus good. I mean, the Colts, if they're going to be reliant on Carson Wentz throwing the ball to be a playoff team or to win in the playoffs, they're, they're not going far. But credit to them. They started 0-3, and now here they are gearing up for a playoff run against a very difficult schedule. I don't think anybody thought going into the season that, you know, when you're at, when you're counting up, all right, preseason, how many games are the Colts going to win? You did not have the bills on that list. So good for them. Keeping the train roll. Uh, the other, I guess, super, the really surprising game of the day was Houston, a bad Houston team. One of the worst teams in football beating Tennessee. Now I said to you guys on Friday that I thought Houston was, was a frisk was like a frisky pick. I thought they were actually a really good, not a really good team, but a good bet to come out. I thought they would show heart. It's a divisional game. And I thought the Titans, you know, whenever the Titans are the underdogs or they're playing it, you know, they know they're playing a good team. They get up for those games. They won six in a row against six teams who had made the playoffs last, like even the best teams, the teams that go on to win Super Bowls have let down games, right? You can go through every single Super Bowl champion and find games like, how the hell did they lose that? It happens every single year, right? Oh, I think the last time the Patriots won the Super Bowl, I think it was the game against the Rams or the, that season. They went out on opening night and got thrashed by the Kansas City Chiefs. So it's not like, in, it's not some crazy thing, okay? Like, it, it's a pretty common trend. But what's not common, what is alarming here is, is the Titans without Derrick Henry. Two weeks in a row, they were able to still successfully move the ball. Tannehill didn't look that bad. But the numbers are staggering against Ryan Tannehill without Derrick Henry. Without Derrick Henry, they are in some serious, serious trouble. They have not been able to run the ball as well. They were able to do it against the Rams, but I think people are starting to second-guess what the Rams are. They were able to, to do it last week against the Saints, against a really good running attack for the most part. But when you're asking Tannehill to do as much as he was asked to do on Sunday, I mean, he had two bad interceptions. And without that consistent running game, teams are now starting to adjust and, and not bite on the play-action stuff. And we saw it in Houston, and we saw it against Houston on Sunday. And Tennessee will have to figure out another way here to because I don't think you can just drop – Tannehill back as a pocket guy he's so much better when he's on the move he's so much better when you let him use his legs and, and you're kind of rolling him out and you're sprinting him out and these bootleg kind of offenses but without a running game they're just going to squat an outside linebacker there and, and force you to keep Ryan Tannehill in the pocket and that's what Houston did and Houston was in control of that game from start to finish and there was a couple of times Tennessee's pushing the ball down late Right. And there was a, an, an extra interception thrown at the end. But 
Tennessee's got to figure some stuff out because I think they're in as much trouble as anybody. With, I, I mean, we knew Derrick Henry was important, and there's still a chance they may get him back. But right now, there's only two games separating Tennessee and Indianapolis. And, yes, they've already played, and Tennessee won both games. But look at the losses. that the, two, two of Tennessee's losses this year, one of them came against the Jets. And now the other one comes against Houston. Two of the three worst teams in football have beaten Tennessee. And they still got to play Jacksonville. Now we know that the rest of the Titans schedule should be winnable. So they got to figure out a way to get things right now. But that Derrick Henry injury is getting worse and worse by the day and by the week because they dominate LA two weeks ago. They hang on by a thread to beat New Orleans last week. And then they lose to the Texans. Teams are starting to realize, all right, they really can't run the ball. Let's make Tannehill beat us and let's make him beat us out of the pocket. And that's not a good recipe for wins for Tennessee. Uh, the Green Bay Packers still in first place in the NFC, but they drop a game to the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, actually, I, I should double check that because I actually think the Cardinals are in first place now because I think the Cardinals only have two losses. Um, yeah, Cardinals are nine and two. So Cardinals are still are, are currently in first place uh, in the NFC. Second is the Green Bay Packers, who, who lost to a division rival. And what was a close game? Now, every single game this year, and I'm sure you've all heard this stat by now, but every single game this year, Minnesota has had a seven-point lead at some point, which is a wild stat, including the game when they end up getting blown out by Seattle. And other than that game, every single game has still been a one-possession game. They're the hardest team to figure out week in and week out. And I think I said this like two, like a month ago, a month and a half ago, that Minnesota can beat any team in the NFL, and I wouldn't be surprised, and they could lose to any team in the NFL, and I wouldn't be surprised. Because they have all this talent, and they just haven't been able to manufacture consistent wins. But they looked really good against Green Bay. And Aaron Rodgers dealing with a, a toe injury that's worse than toe, uh, turf toe, according to him at least. Uh, I'm not worried about Green Bay. Again, like we were just talking about Tennessee, like every Super Bowl team that's ever existed has bad losses throughout the regular season. Last year, Tampa Bay loses to the Giants. The Eagles Super Bowl, they got destroyed by Kansas City in week three. Like those losses happen. Uh, the baseline of what the whole season has been is far more important. And for Green Bay, they have been a really good football team. They didn't have Aaron Jones, uh, but they were still able to move the ball. And Aaron Rodgers, even with a banged up toe, was still really good. Um, it, was it the, the best game of the year for them? No, of, of course not. I'm, and you, you would hope that they would get better. But this is what's crazy, right? Because Kirk Cousins was awesome, Kirk Cousins, on, on Sunday. The version who wasn't afraid to throw the ball down the field. It was 24-35, 341 yards and three touchdowns. Aaron Rodgers, in, in the loss here, which, again, we saw him drive down the field. They scored, honestly, too quick. They left too much time on the clock for Kirk Cousins. Aaron Rodgers goes 23 of 33 for 385 yards and four touchdowns. A damn near perfect day. All right, he hit uh, Valdez Scantling for a touchdown, a long one, the 75-yarder. Devontae Adams, two touchdowns, monster stuff. So, they're still moving the ball. Like they're, they're still fine. I wouldn't worry about them too much here, 
But Minnesota now at five and five in an NFC playoff standings right now. I mean, they're the sixth seed as it stands currently. Now, right behind them, they have the Saints at five and five, the Niners at five and five, the Eagles at five and six, the Panthers at five and six, and then Washington and Atlanta both at four and six. And they're, believe it or not, still in the hunt. Uh, I mean, it goes down. You can honestly even make an argument for the Giants. If the Giants win tonight, then there'll be four and six. Now, will they beat Tampa Bay? Probably not. But that sick because the Rams are seven and three. But honestly, the way the Rams are looking without Robert Woods, I mean, five through 12, five through 13 in the NFC is all somewhat realistic, especially considering the Eagles and the football team and, and the Giants are all going to be playing each other as the season, you know, wraps up here down the stretch. Because I think for every team in the NFC East, the last five, like five out of the last six games, something like that, are all against other NFC East teams. And the Eagles have only played the Cowboys this year, and I'm pretty sure each of the other teams in the NFC East have only played one other, maybe two games in the NFC East. So we got a lot of movement that's kind of going to go around there. But the Vikings are by far the most talented of that group. The Saints, I mean, they're on a, a downward trajectory, and we'll get to the Saints and the Eagles game here next. But you you look at the, the running the Dalvin Cook, Alexander Madison, the backfield, right? And then you look at the Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen and KJ Osborne and, and the way Kirk Cousins has looked. I mean, statistically, he's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL this season. The defense is kind of up and down. And there's honestly only been a handful of times so far this season where the offense and the defense for the Vikings have kind of been locked in. And we saw that a little bit this week. But they still gave up, you know, a ton of points or a ton of points and a ton of yards to the Packers. But also, who doesn't? Like, who hasn't given up a ton of points and a ton of yards to the Packers this season? So the Vikings are a scary team. But like I said before, right, they could beat anybody and they could lose to anybody in the NFL. And I wouldn't be surprised by either. So keep your eyes out on, on the Vikings. And, and chances are they're probably going to lose a couple of games here down the stretch that they really shouldn't. But maybe they've starting to find something and, and hell, for the way they were able to move the ball against a, a good Packers defense, um, th there's some room for, for worry. There's some concern there throughout the NFL and particularly the NFC because I think you get them in a playoff series, in a playoff run, they could beat anybody in the NFC. They, I'm not saying they're going to go to the Super Bowl or, or go on like a, a Giants you know, 2008 run where they go all the way to the, to the Super Bowl and beat Tom Brady miraculously. But if they're in a one-on-one -on -one matchup in the NFL, whether wild card, divisional round, whatever in the playoffs, the Vikings could win any of those games. And again, wouldn't be surprised. Or they can miss the playoffs, and I wouldn't be surprised. That's just who they are. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, third win in a row. Or no, three, three out of their last four. Um, they, they have found something here. The way that they were able to run the ball against the number one rushing defense in football, that is a legitimate feat, okay? And, you know, the Detroit game, all right, you're playing the, the Lions. I brushed that one off too. The Chargers game, up, oh, same old Eagles. That honestly could have been a way bigger score, and I would have been surprised. Denver, all right, you know what? That was pretty impressive. Go out there. Then you're going to do this at home after having not won a game at home all year. 0-4 up to that point. You wear the all-blacks. Jalen Hurts has three rushing touchdowns. Miles Sanders is back, 94 yards, even though he had the one terrible fumble, you know, on, on his own three-yard line. Devontae Smith is in the action, right? Like, the Eagles 
I've simplified some stuff. The defense still kills me. It still stresses me out so much. But when you got a guy like Darius Slay out there who's just taking away half the field, he's got three touchdowns in the last month. He's got more touchdowns in the last month than his old team, the Detroit Lions. All right, and, and Javon Hardgrave and Fletcher Cox and Josh Sweat, they're just they're not getting home a lot. They're not producing a lot of sacks, but as Bill Belichick won on his little rant a couple of weeks ago, sacks are the most overrated stat in all of football. It's about generating pressure. And the Eagles defensive line does that at an exceptional rate. Once they made the switch to put in Davian Taylor and TJ Edwards, that linebacking play has been astronomically better. And it's allowed for Steven Nelson, who's like, name, you're not even hearing anymore because he's doing such a good job in coverage. And Darius Slay, who's obviously making big plays and, and doing an unbelievable job too. Rodney McLeod in the back end, one of the most underrated and underappreciated players in all of football. The defense is getting better. And the way that they can control the clock, the way that they're able to just run the ball. And then two, when Jalen wants to make a big play, whether, whether it's with his legs or his throws, I mean, he is making impressive throws. And I get it. He's not throwing the ball 30 times a game. But if he throws it 20 to 25 times a game with the way like, there's a, there was at least five throws in that game yesterday where I sat there and went, wow, like that, that was an impressive throw. And the completion percentage isn't great, 13 to 24, but he's also really responsible with throwing the football. He knows when he has to get the ball out. He knows when he needs to throw the ball away. It, it's honestly what has made him and this offense so successful because no, did, did he light it up? He only had 147 yards through the air. Well, Dallas Goddard had five catches for 60 yards. Devontae Smith had four for 61. And for both of those guys, they each had multiple first down catches because the throws are coming in, in really important times and teams know how good Devontae Smith is. They know how good Dallas Goddard is. And the offensive line playing as well as they have. I mean, Landon Dickerson, for as bad as he was in his first start, he is looking every bit of the guy who was going to be a first-round draft pick. And remember, we're still le less than a year removed from that guy tearing his ACL. So he's only going to get better. Jason Kelsey has honestly – he's been the number one graded center in all of football. He's been the second highest graded offensive lineman in football. Jordan Mailata was punishing Marcus Davenport yesterday. Lane Johnson still doing his thing. And, and they're expected to get Brandon Brooks back at some point too, who is an all pro right guard. So whether it's Jack Driscoll, most likely will get pulled out of the lineup. You, you have depth there, right? You have guys who've come in and play. They can run the ball and the play action stuff off of it is great. The Saints are, again, another one of those teams that is just downward trajectory. Now they didn't have Alvin Kamara in this game. They were missing two of their offensive linemen. So Still take this win from the Eagles as a grain of salt. The Eagles aren't as good as they looked. The score was also not as close as the game was. I mean, this game was not even close to an 11-point game when, if, when you really watched it. Now, the Eagles got really soft on defense in the second half and kind of let up like, oh, man, like we, we won this game. But with the way that they – kind of like we were talking about with Indianapolis, if you can run the ball and play good defense and allow your quarterback to manage the game and do stuff, and especially when you have a guy like Jalen Hurts, like the way he – I don't know who the defensive lineman was that on the game-sealing touchdown from Jalen Hurts, he just destroyed that cat's ankles. 
Like, if you haven't seen it, go and watch the guy just fly. It was like the AI crossover on MJ. I swear, the way he planted his foot and this big offensive defensive line just goes flying past him. Like, he's a real runner. He's not he, – he's, he's a more compact version of, you know, Cam Newton. Like he's not as big as Cam Newton, but he, he's got a little bit of Lamar in him. He doesn't have the shake and the dancing and everything that Lamar does because he's so special. But he's in somewhere in between Lamar and Cam Newton, but in a smaller package. And I know that's a lot of praise. We're talking about arguably the two of the three greatest running quarterbacks of all time. But look at the numbers. Since he started uh, at the end of last season, he's at almost 1,000 yards of total rush. And he hasn't played a full 16 game yet. And by the time we get to 17 in, in this year, I mean – Pulling, I'm pulling up his his total rushing yards right now on the season. He's got to be close to 500 or so. 600, 618 yards on 114 attempts. And he's averaging five and a half yards with carry. He's got eight touchdowns. He is really good. He's just really good. Um, and, and what he can do with his legs. And the thing is, too, is like Devontae Smith, He's on pace to be at almost 1,000 yards as a rookie. And Dallas Goddard, who's missed a couple games, is at 500 receiving yards right now. And they haven't even been able to really get Quez Watkins involved. And the more they get Quez involved, and again, the more I think Jalen – Jalen's going to develop more as a passer. What he does, coupled with a running game like this and his running abilities, whew, the, Eagles, the Eagles might have something in Jalen Hurts. I, I, if I'm the Eagles, I'm not trading all those picks to go get Russell Wilson and everybody else. Maybe Russell Wilson. I'm going to build this team around around Jalen Hurts and, and go from there. Uh, the other games here in the 1 o'clock window, not a whole lot worth getting into. The Ravens and Bears, I mean, the Ravens didn't have Lamar Jackson. Uh, was a, Ended up being a crazy end of the game. Uh, Tyler Huntley led them all the way back. Devontae Freeman punches it in. I mean, Great win for the Ravens who, who needed it and they were down without Lamar, who was a late scratch because of, of, of an illness, a non-COVID illness. The Bears, I just I, – I'm wondering how many more weeks until we see Matt Nagy get fired. Because at, at this point, the Bears – I mean, no Khalil Mack for the rest of the year. Je, uh, Justin Fields gets hurt in this game, bruised ribs. Uh, things just don't look great in Chicago right now. But I do believe that they have their quarterback – they just need to get him the hell away from Matt Nagy. Uh, Detroit and Cleveland. There's, a, I, again, for whatever reason, I follow a bunch of random, like, Cleveland Browns fans on Twitter. And, like, super fans, people who do podcasts and stuff. And the amount of hate for Baker Mayfield is unreal. I mean, this dude is playing with one arm and is continually getting the shit kicked out of him even against the Detroit Lions, and they won the game, and people are just ripping this guy left and right. And I get it. He didn't want to talk to the media after that. Well, he's taken everything on the fucking chin like a champ this season. And now people want to blame Baker, and, and they want to take the Odell thing as like, oh, see, this is this. I'm like, how about we just let the dude be healthy, all right? I, I get it. Like, you're going to have to offer him an extension soon, and maybe they go the Kirk Cousins route and they just franchise him for, for a year and they wait and see. I don't know. 
But Baker is like he's out here putting his entire fucking body on the line, getting destroyed. He's done it. He's had multiple games this year without a supporting cast. He's got a running back who just came off of COVID and didn't practice all week. How about we all just pump the fucking brakes a little bit and, and, and give Baker the benefit of the doubt? Their defense is good. It's a disappointing year. I get it. When you're a bad franchise for as long as the Browns had been bad and you're the fan base and you have high expectations, expectations are the worst. Anybody who watched Ted Lasso, right? The line in season one, I think it's literally called the last, the last episode named after, but it's the, it's the hope that kills you, right? It's an old expression in, in, in soccer and in, in the UK, right? It's the hope that kills you. Because once you have hope, that means you have expectations. When you have expectations and they don't get met, then it's the end of the world, especially for sports fans, right? Bobby Carpenter, a guy I work with over on SiriusXM, has, has said it many times. He's like, managing expectations is one of the most important life skills you can have because if you manage them the right way, then you'll never be disappointed. And he says it tongue-in-cheek, right? Because it's, it's a good thing to hope. It's a good thing to have expectations because it – you know, what else is going to get you through training camp, right? What else is going to get you through? Maybe one day we're going to do it, right? As an Eagles fan, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl, that was a day I never thought would come. And it did. And going into that game, I, I had to tell myself in every single down, there's no way this is happening. There's no way this is happening because I didn't want to get expectations. But deep down, I knew what I, I, I was hoping for. I knew I had expectations. They weren't high. Not when you're starting a backup quarterback in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. But again, it's what makes us love it as much as we do. And so I understand Browns fans, they've not had to deal with high expectations before. They've dealt with 20 years of shit. But try to at least take the bias off. I get it. You, you want to win by more than three points against the Detroit Lions. But take it for what it is. Respect the fact you have a quarterback who is completely sacrificing himself for the team. And make the best out of it and support the guy. Because he, yeah, I'll tell you what, he needs it a hell of a lot more than you do. Uh, next up in the one o'clock window, we have three left. Dolphins, Jets, who cares? I mean, Tua looked pretty good. Joe Flacco, a couple of touchdowns. That's about all I got. There's just, I mean, the Dolphins won three in a row. Good for them. I'm not a fan of that personally. I want them to keep losing games. Um, obviously, the Ravens win was impressive. But, I mean, this game was tied going into the fourth quarter. Does that mean the Dolphins are a good team out? No. They still – probably better. And, and I've said this for most of the season. They're better than the one and seven they were. I knew that. Uh, and the Jets – and it's just – it is what it is. Joe Flacco is probably going to be the starting quarterback for the rest of the season. Uh, Washington football team in Carolina. Cam Newton, first home start in, uh, since coming back. He looked good. There were some moments where Cam looked really good. I was not expecting him to be outplayed by Taylor Heineke, and he was. Taylor Heineke, and I'm so mad that this podcast isn't as popular – as, uh, you know, like Pardon My Take or Ryan Rosillo's pod or Bill Simmons pod or any of the big sports podcasts, because I was, I swear, I was the first person to say Taylor Henneke is Ryan Fitzpatrick 2.0. He's the next generation of this. 
We've seen Ryan Fitzpatrick go on streaks throughout his career where it's like, oh, my God, how is this dude not a starting quarterback? And then he goes on a five-game skid where you go, oh, that's right, because he's Ryan Fitzpatrick. And that's exactly who Tyler Hineke is. He's going to come in and be unbelievable some games, like the last two weeks, beating Tampa Bay and then beating Carolina, two games where they were underdogs in both. One was at home, the other one, now this one down in Carolina. And he just has been damn near perfect in both games. But you know what's going to happen down the stretch? You know, water always finds its level. That's exactly what we're going to see here. Taylor Henneke is eventually going to show himself to be the same guy that he's always been. Which is super fun and entertaining to watch. And he's going to have some unbelievable moments. And he's going to trick you into thinking, oh, that's, that's the guy. He's not the guy. He's not. He's like the boyfriend who's a really nice guy and he's funny, you know, and, uh, and he makes you laugh and you have a great time together. And you're, and you, but your girlfriend's always like, hey, why are you dating him again? Like, oh, he's cool and like, we have a lot of fun together. And it's like, yeah, but he doesn't, he doesn't have a job. He's an aspiring you know, accordion player for a polka band. Like I get it's Indian hipster, but like, really? It's like, no, but like, no, like he, it's fun. Like if you should come to one of the shows, like it's really, it's like, yeah, but is he like, I, like, why? But eventually that guy's going to kind of keep finding people, right? Maybe he's really good in bed. I don't know. That's Taylor Heineke. You keep finding reasons to talk about it. And then you see those moments where it clicks, like, oh, okay, yeah, that's why. But I guarantee you, you're going to come right back to it. That got really weird meta in that analogy. I don't know why accordion player popped in my head, but uh, I don't know. It worked. Yeah, so that's that game. I don't know. Carolina, Washington, both these teams are in that same hunt we were talking about. They're not t- completely out of it, right? They're, they're around it somewhere. But I don't know. I don't really feel great about either team. I mean, Cam's definitely not your long-term answer at quarterback. I'll be curious to see what they do because it's not – I don't think it's going to be Sam Darnold. It's definitely not going to be Cam. They used a couple of draft picks to, to get Sam Darnold, so maybe they're going to stay committed to him. I would keep an eye out as the Panthers for a sneaky team to go after one of these quarterbacks who wants a trade. You know, maybe like Jimmy G, right, or – uh I mean, I can't imagine Russell Wilson wanting to go down there, but he did play at NC State, which is right down, right up the road from from Charlotte. So who knows? Maybe. But Carolina's in trouble. I think long term, they'll probably finish seven and ten somewhere in that ballpark. Washington, two really great wins. And and look, I love Ron Rivera, and I think he's good for kind of building teams up and getting them through hard times. And I think. There's, there's a chance that they kind of rebound and, and make some sort of playoff push here. But out of the teams in the NFC East right now under Dallas who are going to be competing at each other, I, I kind of like Philly the most. I think Washington's defense is probably better. But the Eagles' offense is, I think, with this running ability, I don't think there's a single team in the NFC East that's going to be able to stop them in the running game, barring injury. So I, I kind of lean towards Philly. I want to see what happens with the Giants tonight because the Giants have had some big wins here too. And if they could somehow beat Tampa Bay, though, I don't think that's going to happen. Then they're, they're going to be in it just as much as any of these other, any of these other teams, Uh, San Francisco beat down a Jacksonville 
Uh, I mean, this game was 20 to three at halftime. It kind of felt like the, the Niners just kind of took the foot off the gas a little bit. And, you know, Jacksonville, I don't, I don't know, man. I think people are just sick of talking about Urban Meyer. I think people like Trevor Lawrence. I just, uh, I don't want to see Trevor Lawrence's career get wasted away by, by Urban Meyer. I, I don't think I have the heart to see that. And I get the appeal for Urban Meyer and why they hired him. But at this point, I mean, every other rookie quarterback has shown growth. And we've seen a couple of really in- impressive moments from Trevor Lawrence. And I still will stand that there are throws he makes in games where I'm just like blown away. The touch and the feel and, and everything. They just, they got to get him better weapons. They got to get him a running game. They, they, that, that team has so much work to do. But he's a really good leader. It's clear the team likes him. I just don't know if Urban Meyer is going to be the guy. So hopefully, for, for Trevor Lawrence's sake, they, they do something to fix that soon. Uh, the four o'clock window. Bengals are back, baby. Cincinnati. Uh, I loved Cincinnati going into this game. They looked really, really good. The Raiders are definitely flamed out, and, and we talked about it on Friday, but the, the amount of shit that they've had to go through, it's just – it's become too much. It's become too much, and it, it sucks because they were on a trajectory where I actually thought, you know, maybe this is the, this is the year, you know, fool me once, shame on me, right, or shame on you. But three years in a row – Raiders get off to a hot start, tail off. Now, this year, there's other reasons for that other than just the football, the Gruden, the rugs, all that stuff. We've been there. We've talked about it. Uh, but just it's a tough season, and I feel for those guys. I feel for the Max Crosbys, right, guys who have gone out and had awesome seasons individually, uh, and, and for Derek Carr, for that matter, which I never thought I would say. I never thought I would feel bad for Derek Carr because I just don't think he's a very likable guy. <laughs> I think he's just kind of a he's, – he's an odd cat. Uh, Cincinnati, on the other hand, very likable team, needed this win. The last time we saw Cincinnati, they got the shit pumped out of them by by Cleveland. So to see them have a big bounce back game was awesome. And uh, Joe Mixon, man, this is this, I guarantee you, every fantasy league in America has a guy in it who who when Joe Mixon was drafted, they went, oh man, the Joe Mixon curse, right? He's always hurt. He's never in. And I hope that that guy in every single league just has middle fingers as his, as their team picture because <laughs> he's been so good. And he's had some really impressive runs against the Raiders, who are a bad rushing defense. Um, and Joe Burrow, like he's just kind of doing what needs to get done. And he makes a couple of big throws. The arm strength isn't there with Joe. We know that about Burrow, but. He's such a gamer, man. And I talk about guys who you just love watching. I love Joe Burrow. I freaking love Joe Burrow. Uh, Dallas in Kansas City, huge win for the Chiefs. And I know Dallas didn't have – they lost C.D. Lamb the game. Amari Cooper ends up with COVID, so he missed this game. He's also going to miss Thanksgiving game for Dallas. Uh, Zeke was banged up early in the first half and didn't really come back in until the middle of the second half. So he was kind of a non-factor. They did have Michael Gallup back, but I mean, when it's that Cedric Wilson guy and and Michael Gallup and and all of a sudden like that, those are the weapons. It's not the same Cowboys offense, but I'll tell you what, the Chiefs defense sneakily looking pretty good over the last couple of weeks. Uh, they have that cornerback Snead, who 
came out of nowhere and has been awesome. Uh, the last three weeks, he's graded as a top three cornerback in all of football. Really impressive performance from him. I think he'll get if, – if they have someone that they can trust to lock down the back end with Tyron Matthew, so it's not all on Tyron Matthew, they're getting great pressure. Frank Clark's come along in the last couple games. Uh, and, and one of the trades that happened that I didn't think would be that impactful – but watching him play for Kansas City, I, I've noticed the difference is Melvin Ingram. Melvin Ingram going from Pittsburgh to Kansas City. He's an outside linebacker, ranked 24, which is weird. But he's been really good, like, like really impressive. And, and it just, if, if nothing else, it gives them depth. Like he's not playing 75 snaps a game. You know, they're, they're limiting him. They're keeping him fresh. He's an older player. He's been banged up for a long, you know, for for the better part of the last couple of years, but the offense is starting to look a little bit better. You can see the confidence and the swag and, and the way that they're getting the ball to Tyreek Hill, right? They, they really are simplifying things in that offense. They're, they're just being like, all right, point. What's the straightest or the shortest distance between two points, right? Straight line. They're figuring out ways to do that same principle, but with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Fastest way to get between point A and point B. Let's just get them the ball and let them do things. And what it's what, it, what it's done is that they're they're still finding ways to make plays, and it's opening things up for other guys like Byron Pringle, especially in the return game. He's been awesome. Uh, McCall Hardman, right? Even Demarcus Robinson. These are guys that had been getting roasted all year because it's like, man, he, they're throwing to him a ton. Well, now that they're they're, they're basically force feeding. Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill down the defense's throats, whether it's on end arounds, whether it's on direct snaps, whether it's on screen plays, like they're just figuring out ways to get them the ball. Now that they're forcing them to do that, defenses are reacting mid game. And now these other guys are getting open. And, and Patrick Mahomes is able to kind of sling the ball around a little bit easier. Not a, not a ton, right? They still only put up 19 points, but the Cowboys defense was playing really well last night. And it just didn't really matter because they were just getting the ball in the hands of the people that needed it. And Dak didn't look great. It was definitely a rough game for him, but he's down his number one, number two wide receivers. He was down his number one running back for most of the game. Most quarterbacks in the NFL, if not every quarterback, if your name's not Aaron Rodgers, will struggle. Will struggle without their, their, their top three weapons on offense and missing their starting offensive tackle, Tyron Smith, who we've talked about on the show, the difference when he's in and out of the lineup for the, for, for the Cowboys. It's, it's substantial. Uh, Arizona with a big win. 6-0 on the road this year for Arizona. The defense continuing to come along. Uh, and, and Colt McCoy, 2-1 and one as, as, a, as, a start, as the starter here in the last three weeks, giving Kyler a chance to get healthy. This win was huge. You know, you, you come off the drumming against Carolina last week. I know it's Colt McCoy, and you still don't have DeAndre Hopkins, but you have to win this game. And he was finding A.J. Green. He was finding Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz had a couple of touchdowns in this game. Uh, James Conner was getting going. So they did enough. The defense is really good. Seattle, on the other hand, you know, this Russell Wilson thing, I, I love watching Russ play. But when you, when you act and behave the way that Russell Wilson does, and he's trying to be this like mogul, but he's also kind of a 
douche, but he's also likable, all wrapped up into one thing. It feels like he's being disingenuous when he's when he's doing that like character almost, but that's just who he is. Like he really is the the all-American high school quarterback that everybody likes. And oh, he's just so he's so perfect. And it's like annoying that he's so perfect. It's like, can you just be a person? The stuff with him and the finger and coming back and the dramatics of the doctor being like, I've never seen a human being come back with a dismembered finger. Like, oh my, like, and now it's like, okay, dude, you're clearly not healthy. You can't take snaps from under center because your finger's busted. You don't, I, I get it. Chris Carson's not in, but you still have Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf and you can't get them the ball worth shit. For a dude who had never missed a start in his NFL career, I, I get it. He wanted to be back out there. And the comeback was impressive. But here we are, six weeks removed from the injury. You've played in two games. And you've scored 13 points in two games. One touchdown. That shouldn't be happening when you have the weapons that he has there. And one of the storylines I had brought up before the season was if – Given all of the Russell Wilson stuff from over the summer, the, the trade request that wasn't a trade request, and now the injury, I was just, I said, I was like, I don't know if they, if they have a down year this year, it could be Pete Carroll's last season. And the guy's 73. He's old. He's been coaching a long time. And I actually really like Pete Carroll. But the Seahawks are stale. It reminds me a lot of Andy Reid in Philadelphia. At some point, you just got to kind of cut the ties. I think it'll be better for everybody. The two, the two coaches I brought that up for, I guess three, because I said the same thing about Zimmer, was Harbaugh in Baltimore, which he's proven, right? He, you know, he's still good. They're still good. He, his voice hasn't gone on deaf ears now in Baltimore, so he's going to stay. Zimmer, who I still could see being let go at the end of the season, depending on how the season goes with the talent that they have there, and Pete Carroll. So it's something to keep an eye on here. Uh, the Sunday night game, full disclosure for you all, I, uh, I, I usually sit and watch all the Sunday games on the couch. I have multiple TVs set up. I have my laptop up. I'm taking notes. I'm doing stuff. And then by the time the day is on, red zones end, seven hours, football, all that shit, I move up to my room. And I have a projector up there. I watched the game, the Sunday night game on there. Well, I passed out uh, midway through the first quarter. <laughs> and I woke up. And it, meanwhile, end of the first, you know, midway through the first quarter wasn't much of a game. L.A. had been looking pretty good. I wake up and all of a sudden Pittsburgh's winning in the fourth quarter <laughs> and a million different things had happened. So I had to do my homework and kind of go back here. Uh, this was arguably the best game of the day. Um, and... and I felt somewhat vindicated that on the play that mattered most, the thing that really set this game, the, the game-winning play for the Chargers, was Justin Herbert hitting the, the big play guy. Mike Williams talked about that on Friday. When, when they have him and they're cooking with him, good things happen for the Chargers. And that play to win the game there at the end was, was massive. The defense has definitely become a problem. You can't give up 37 points to the, to the Steelers' offense. They can't stop the run. And now it seems like the wonder kid, Brandon Staley, what he can do schematically, you know, disguising coverages, all that stuff just isn't quite there. 
and teams are able to move the ball pretty consistently against them. Look, he's a young head coach. He's still done a phenomenal job in his first season. The Chargers are going to be good for a long time because Justin Herbert is that dude. Unquestionably. And I would still like going back and redrafting that draft class between Burrow, Tua, and Herbert. Herbert should have been the number one overall pick. And I get it. Like it's so easy to say that now. And and remember where we were and talking about Joe Burrow and the season else you had just had and everything about that. Like there was no question you were taking Joe Burrow with the first overall pick. And I still think Joe Burrow, the guy, all that stuff, like that's not a bad pick at all. Missing on Justin Herbert because you draft Joe Burrow, I don't think it is that bad. Missing on Justin Herbert because you drafted Tua coming off the hip injury and everything is a little, little bit more damning. Justin Herbert is awesome. And I'm so excited to continue to watch him play over the next couple of years. All right, quick break. We're going to come back, hit on a little bit of college football stuff. I'll give you my picks of the college football playoff rankings, and we'll wrap up this pod, get you on your way to Thanksgiving weekend. Listen to this while you're traveling. Send it to your friends. Hey, you know what? My buddy, he's got a podcast. This is a great sports podcast. He's funny. He's charming. He's handsome. Uh, and uh, you should listen to it while you're driving home and visiting family. Because I think for most people, <laughs> going home, seeing family can be stressful. So listen to the read option. Maybe you can, during the games on Thursday, you can drop in a couple nuggets to your uncles and cousins, make yourself sound smart. Uh, and we'll see where it goes. I'm, a, I'm from a big family who loves sports. So I know there's going to be a lot of football talk for me for Thanksgiving, especially working in sports. A lot of family members ask me a bunch of stuff. So uh, we'll all be in it together. And, uh, and I hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. So we'll, we'll take a pause, come back, college football, wrap up the pot. Wild weekend in college football. Biggest takeaways thus far uh, from the weekend. Number three, Oregon gets stomped out by Utah. Oregon, their playoff chances are done. They're probably going to drop arguably out of the top 10. Uh, They looked really bad. And they've been battling injuries all year. And they've been kind of their whole mentality has been bully ball. I I really had a feeling that Utah was going to come out and win this game. I had them covering the three and a half, even though they were favored by three and a half in this game as the number 23 ranked team in the country playing the number three ranked team. They out bullied ball Oregon, who's built its brand off of Billy bully ball. And now the Oregon's out and is not going to make the playoffs again. The Pac 12's out, not going to make the playoffs again. Mario Cristobal is going to be a name that gets circulated for LSU, for USC, and for Florida. If he goes anywhere, he'll go back to the SEC. That's where he's from. It's where he cut his teeth. You know, he was a, a, a Nick Saban assistant for a long time. He wants to be able to recruit guys in that area. And he's done a good job recruiting them to come out to Oregon from Texas, from Florida. He's also recruited the state of California really well. But if LSU makes a monster offer to Mario Cristobal, I would not be shocked at all if he took it because I actually think Mario Cristobal would be the best coach that's potentially available right now. And after losing to Utah, his stock goes up ironically because his availability now seems like it might be open. Now Oregon's got more money than God, right? They have the Nike, the Nike deal with Phil Knight and all that. So like, And also talk about facilities, by far the best facilities in all of college football. Mario Cristobal could be on his way out from Oregon. But if he decides to stay, I I wouldn't be overly surprised either. 
I think his brand of football actually, you know, he's a, we're going to beat you up front. We're going to load up in the trenches and we're going to bully the shit out of you. I think he'll be able to do that at Oregon, but he's doing so at, at somewhat of a disadvantage. Now we just saw Penny Sewell get drafted out of Oregon, right? He's already got other offensive linemen. Like he recruits top offensive linemen in the country because he's was an offensive line coach at Alabama. The dude knows how to coach offensive linemen. Guys want to go play for him. He's not been able to get a good quarterback. He had Justin Herbert there and refused to use him because they don't want to, they don't want to throw the ball. They want to run the ball down your throat. And if CJ Verdell doesn't have the season ending injury and they still have that two headed monster and, and, you know, and I like Anthony Brown, he's a good quarterback. He's a good mobile athletic quarterback. He needs like legit guys. He doesn't have skill position guys. And, and, Honestly, with how the SEC is now with being able to throw the ball, maybe it wouldn't be as good of a fit as it would be in Oregon in the Pac-12 or the Pac-12. You know, if you have elite guys in the trenches, you should be able to beat most teams. The only other team that does it that way is Utah. And Utah gave it to them. I mean, that game was over fast. It was 28-0 at halftime. That second quarter was like a blur. And Utah was by far the better team. Uh, and Oregon now they're out of the conversation, which is great news for the Cincinnati Bearcats, who had their first real big game in since Notre Dame. And I think that, you know, they've played down all these competitions. They've had close games against Navy and Tulane and, and all these other schools. Right. And even the USF game, like Scotty was saying last week, like, I'm not really convinced when you are the team with the target on your back, everybody beating Cincinnati for every team in the American is, is winning the Super Bowl. It's the biggest game of the year. You're getting everybody's best ever, everybody's best week of practice. It's Cincinnati week. We are going to be the team that upsets them, that keeps them from making the playoff. Which, ironically, if you're a group of five team, you should actually kind of be wanting as you know Cincinnati to make the playoff. But I also get it. Like you're playing, you're an athlete. Like you don't, your brain doesn't think that way. They go up against a really good offense in Cincinnati, and they're absolutely destroying them. Forty-one to nothing. And then the backups came in and SMU scores a couple touchdowns. Cincinnati tacks one more on there in the fourth quarter. That was an absolute blowout, not even remotely close. And now the Oregon lost, there's a spot open in the college football playoff rankings, but Michigan also looked really good against Maryland, like really good against Maryland. And so now there's going to be this conversation about, well, does Michigan leapfrog, Cincinnati into number four because Ohio State, and we'll get to them in a second, is probably going to jump up to number two or number three. I think that they should be ranked ahead of Alabama after what they did to Michigan State. But will Michigan somehow leapfrog Cincinnati and get into, in, into the top four and Cincinnati hangs at five? Will the committee look at the, the win? I mean, honestly, beating SMU 48-14 to 14 is as impressive, if not more impressive, than Michigan beating Maryland 59-18. to 18. It's going to be really fascinating to see how it plays out on Tuesday night. Um, and again, that leads us to the Ohio State Michigan game where CJ Stroud six touchdown passes in the first half. I mean, they had they were up 49 nothing at the end of the first half. They were on pace to score almost 100 points. And I said this to you guys on, on Friday's pod, right? Michigan State's pass defense is the worst in college football. And it was very, very apparent. Uh, it's the only bad game of the season for Kenneth Walker. I think he finished with like 26 rushing yards. Uh, Michigan State's an awesome story. They're still not going to move on from Mel Tucker if, you know, he'll sign the extension, which hasn't been made official. Um, but Ohio State, 
they look like the second best team in college football. And a national championship between Ohio State and Georgia would be fucking electric. To watch that offense, the way C.J. Stroud's playing right now, who honestly might be the favorite for the Heisman. I think it's him or Bryce Young, because Bryce Young broke the – no Alabama quarterback had ever thrown for 500 yards in a game until Sunday or Saturday. And Bryce Young goes out and do it. So just as weird as, as it is in the NFL, talking about MVP, it's equally as hard, if not harder, to determine who, who's going to win the Heisman. It might be C.J. Stroud. It might be Bryce Young. It might be Matt Corral. It unfortunately won't be Kenneth Walker anymore, though I, I think he'll probably get invited to the ceremony. Maybe Kenny Pickett sneaks in. I, I don't know. It, it seems this could be a year where there's like six guys who get invited to New York for the Heisman ceremony. Uh, but Ohio State, man, they are they're filthy. They're just absolutely filthy. Uh, Oklahoma State's defense and Oklahoma State in general, they have a huge matchup against Oklahoma in Bedlam next week. If they somehow beat Oklahoma and then they're then 11 and one, they're going to the big 12 championship. They would then be playing Baylor in the big 12 championship because Baylor beat Oklahoma. Oklahoma state could beat Baylor or they could beat if they lose to Oklahoma, then their season's done. But right now the only hope for the PAC 12 to get a team in the playoff it's probably Oklahoma State because they're ranked nine right now. The committee doesn't like Oklahoma. They haven't liked them all season. If they beat Oklahoma convincingly, especially if they can slow that offense down, that would be huge. Uh, and then they would have a chance to beat a really good Baylor team who looked good against Kansas State this past weekend, who was a 7-3 and three team, beat them by 10 points, and the Baylor defense just hung strong. Um, Clemson beats Wake Forest. Again, another one of those I thought – I actually had Wake Forest covering the four and a half, but I thought Clemson would win the game. Clemson dominated, and uh, the offense actually looked pretty good. D I know DJ's had a rough year, but when he's throwing the ball, there's still throws he makes where it's like that's why he was the number one recruit in college football, right? That's why he was this highly ranked prospect because he is talented, undeniably. So, yeah, it'll be, be interesting to see. So that brings us to what we're going to see on – Tuesday night, right? We have Oklahoma. Oh, sorry, we have the, the top six. They're going to come out. Oregon, they're out. So you're number one, you're number two. You're still going to have Georgia. Number two is where it gets interesting. I think the committee will put Ohio State in over Alabama because Alabama, even though they won the game, the offense looked incredible against Arkansas. Arkansas was going punch for punch with them. Every time Alabama would score, make it a 10-point game, Right back came Arkansas to the point where Alabama's up six and Bryce Young throws an interception and all of a sudden Arkansas's got the ball and they would have had to go on like a 93-yard drive in order to go down and, and, and take the lead. But that was like in the third quarter. And this game was back and forth and it ended up still being, I want to, I have the final score, right? Uh, it was 42 to 35. Yeah, it was a one-score game by the end. And yes, Bryce Young threw for 500 yards and the offense looked scary. But after what Ohio State did to Michigan State and the way that the defense showed up and completely shut down Kenneth Walker, I think you have to put Ohio State number two. I would then put Alabama at number three. And that brings us to number four. Does the committee put in Cincinnati? For the first time, a group of five school ranked in the top four. 
or do they leapfrog Michigan over Cincinnati? Knowing that Michigan and Cincinnati and Michigan and Ohio State are playing this weekend. Now that wouldn't be the end of the world for Cincinnati because again, if Michigan somehow pulls off the upset and beats Ohio State, then I would think you would have to put Cincinnati in ahead of Ohio State the next week. And if Michigan State or if uh, Michigan loses to Ohio State, then you would definitely put Cincinnati ahead of Michigan. You also have Notre Dame. Notre Dame's probably going to be ranked in the top six this week. So my guess, I think they reward Cincinnati. I think the win over over SMU, remember SMU beat Texas Tech this year. They, they've beaten good teams. All right, it, they've been one of the best offenses in college football, and Cincinnati shut them down. When the starters were in through three quarters, they had zero points. They could not do anything. So I think they have Cincinnati at four, Michigan at five, which leads us to Notre Dame coming in at number six, which will spark a lot of debate if somehow we get to the conversation about Michigan or Notre Dame for the fourth, or sorry, Cincinnati or Notre Dame for the fourth spot. Because if Michigan comes in at number five, they lose to Ohio State. Notre Dame is at six. They move up to five. Cincinnati four, Notre Dame five. Cincinnati has a chance to beat Houston in the AAC championship game in a couple weeks. They will also be playing, I believe, East Carolina this weekend. It's going to be interesting. College football is getting very, very interesting. And for Cincinnati, there's a path. The committees like them more than any of the Big 12 teams all year. They've beaten Notre Dame, who right now is the biggest threat behind them. So they got the head-to-head there. And Houston is ranked in the top 25. So you get a win against against Houston, who would likely be at home for the American Championship. You finish the year 13-0. Cincinnati should be in the playoff. As it stands right now. Because even if Arkansas, even if Alabama beats Georgia, all right, those two are it. Ohio State, they're in. No team from the Pac-12, don't got to worry about them. No team from the ACC, don't got to worry about them. If Oklahoma State runs the table with one loss, then it becomes somewhat of a debate. And then the one team that, again, is standing in that way is Notre Dame, who will not have a conference championship because they don't play in a conference. And because they lost that game at home by 10 points to Cincinnati, I don't think there's a world where you can put Cincinnati in ahead or behind. Notre Dame. Cincinnati proved that one already. But the committee has done some stupid stuff this year. And all I hope is that they don't screw over Cincinnati because all Cincinnati's done all year is beating the teams in front of them. They scheduled a tough schedule. That was always the excuse the committee makes. Well, non-conference is competitive. They said the same thing about UCF. Well, Cincinnati can only play in the conference at the rim. If they beat everybody in the conference, which include a ranked SMU team at one point this season, a ranked Houston team in the conference championship, they go on the road and beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame, and then they go on the road and beat a a Big Ten Power 5 school who was coming off their best season in the last 50 years in Indiana, and they beat them by two touchdowns. You have to reward that team. Otherwise, what hope is there for any other group of five teams? 
And I get it. Cincinnati will be in the power five next year or within the next couple of years, whenever that transition happens. But for all the other schools, and even if an expanded playoff is coming down the line, setting that precedent would be a terrible look for the committee, who frankly, to this point of the season, doesn't really seem to care how they'll be perceived. They just kind of do whatever the hell they want. Uh, that is the pod. Again, Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Cincinnati, Michigan, Notre Dame. That will be your top six on Tuesday night. I hope everybody sincerely has a wonderful, wonderful Thanksgiving. I cannot say how thankful I am for everybody who listens, for Scotty, for Vita. I was hoping I would have them on this week so I could tell it to them on the pod, but don't worry. I'll tell them that off air as well. Um, sincerely, though, I look back on the last year and think about where this pod uh, you know, we weren't even doing a pod this time a year ago, and now we're coming up on a year since we started it. Uh, we're 66 episodes in, and uh, it's been so much fun. And, and having people out there who listen, people literally from all over the world, all over the country who tune in to listen to us uh, shoot the shit about stuff and, and debate about Mr. Brightside and, uh, you know, all the other random crap we've done, um, taste tests and bachelor parties and it's just i feel very thankful and appreciative to everybody out there so i sincerely hope everybody has a wonderful wonderful thanksgiving with your families with your loved ones and uh you know we'll be back we'll be back i'll get one more pot out to you guys this week no question it might come out a little later on friday but uh we'll we'll see how the day uh, how the day goes so have a great great holiday enjoy the games on thursday and uh, we'll talk to you guys later on in the week. Take it easy, everybody.